Sup Thrill Seekers, I'm Connor. And I'm Dev, and you're listening to Mass Hysteria. Welcome back, Thrill Seekers, to a new episode of Mass Hysteria. That's going to be our new uh, theme song. I'm not just kidding. (laughs) I'm not not seeing that either. Um, But we have a very crazy case for you today. And before we dive in, we have to open with our Mass Hysterical. Of course. Also, oh, I forgot to say, um, happy butt sweat season. It's officially hot as balls in Massachusetts. Oh my gosh, I saw this meme the other day that was like... um, I'm not saying it's hot, but I am saying that um, Shrek and my ass are fighting over whose swamp it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, uh, my my AC's broken in my car, so when I was driving over, my legs were just, like, I was sitting in a puddle, it was so sweaty. Yeah, it's disgusting. Okay, um, now <laughs> accepting some issues. Now that you all me. know that we have hygiene issues. <laughs> um, my mass hysterical. So I was on vacation last week for four days to Arizona and this isn't my mass hysterical actually but I trailed behind a woman and her daughter for one of the hikes because I was by myself so I was like oh you know I don't want to get kidnapped by anyone so I was like oh to this mother and daughter can I can I follow behind you in the hike and the woman was like she was so sweet she was like oh you're from Boston like they're such mean drivers like they always honk like why do they always honk and I'm like yeah who the heck would ever honk at someone it's so rude <laughs> you didn't tell them your, your no story. absolutely not but that's not my mass hysterical of the week my mass hysterical of the week is I went to the Grand Canyon and I was like way too over prepared like my roommate and I, we started to kind of psych out before I left. And I was like, he was like, how do we, do you know how to handle like a scorpion bite? Like, blah, blah. oh my God. You know, so we were like, I was like, you know, I'm going to go in with everything I need, extra water. I'll be super prepared. So I'm like walking this very tourist area with like a water backpack, my camera. And then I had this like little belt that had all these uh, medical supplies. So you was, looked like, like a ghostbuster. I literally looked like a ghostbuster. And this one man is like walking toward me. And he's like, he's like a good looking guy, probably like 40. And I'm like, oh, he's, he, he kind of is like smiling at me. And I'm like, this is weird, whatever. And he comes up to me. He's like, you fixing any bullet holes today? Oh my God. <laughs> and I was like, I just wanted to be prepared. Okay. <laughs> and he was like, I think you're safe, sweetie. <laughs> and I just like, I had no comeback because I was already um, embarrassed, plagued with embarrassment. And then this man like called me out in broad daylight in front of three other families. Oh my God. Um, But yeah. So if you go to the Grand Canyon, you probably don't need a bed pack, but you know, take whatever you want. If you need one, let us know because apparently Devin safe. has one. <laughs> yeah. I have one that I can share. I'm prepared to uh, sew up a bullet. We're thinking about renting it out. <laughs> One lucky listener is going to get a med pack from Dev. Um, so today we are talking about the Kion family. We think it's Kion. Kion, Kion. Um, James and Julie Kion. The, the pair they met while they were in college at William Jewel College in Missouri. And they dated a few years before they married in 1996. And so since they had grown up in Missouri, it's not surprising that they decided to settle down in Kansas City. And if you're thinking like, okay, Kansas City is not in New England, just wait, they end up in New England. But 
Life was just beginning for the young couple. They were full of excitement and ambition. Julie had graduated with a nursing degree and she was working as an ICU nurse. James didn't graduate from college, but he did land a job at a small radio station and he also worked um, in marketing for a nonprofit. So James uh, had the nickname JP, and he was kind of a flashy guy. He liked to be in the spotlight, whether it be disc jockeying or buying designer items. One of James' former colleagues told ABC News that JP liked the trappings of success. I mean, he had a Rolex and a three-piece suit. I saw him driving a Jaguar. He was sort of, you know, the one you expected to watch and end up in the networks, end quote. So before marrying James, Julie's last name was Oldag. I think she did... I'm not sure if she improved that with Kion. Those are those they're are pretty tough names. Tough names, yeah. Um, anyway, Julie was a caring and sweet woman, and she also had a witty and charismatic side. She was good-natured and respected, a person that everybody liked. We can relate to this. Obviously. I mean, this is the description of me. Um, <laughs> her mother told NBC, quote, I think the only thing she ever did wrong was during high school. She had a music teacher that she really liked, and she and her friends went out and stuck plastic forks in his yard one night. She laughs in the interview. Um, And then she drove the getaway car, end quote. Julie always thought of others, and she had a handful of friends that she regularly kept in contact with. There was a balance in the relationship. James had his head up in the clouds and was running around with new ideas, and Julie was much more grounded and realistic about the future. Whether he was doing financially well or not, James wanted everyone to think that he was. He worried a lot about keeping up appearances and would go to great lengths to buy flashy toys and gadgets. One of his former classmates told NBC that he showed up to the 10-year high school reunion in a $70,000 Mercedes-Benz. He told everyone that he was working for ESPN as a radio host. He was larger than life, but as outlandish as his perfect career seemed to them, his classmates could kind of believe it. If anybody could work their connections and get their dream job, they all knew that it would be James. But, like, these are also very big claims. Like, this is very easily... Debunked verified you oh, know yeah. like I was going the other way. But well yeah, yeah but like, like if you turn on espn and you are you listen to espn I guess and you basically. don't hear him as a host like how did he get I, I get it sort of but i also don't get how he got like how did no one like think to check i mean maybe he had some kind of he must have had like some kind of elaborate story or maybe they're just like oh well you know he's so smooth talking it makes sense right i guess so james and julie had been married for about eight years when an exciting opportunity came into their lives By this time, James had left the radio arena entirely, and he had transitioned to a career in web consulting and marketing full-time. In 2004, James told his friends and family that he had been accepted to Harvard Business School. He was eager to begin his studies, even though it meant the family would have to relocate. Julie's family was hesitant for the couple to leave. Yeah, they were really excited and proud of James for his accomplishments, but their daughter would now be much further away from them. James was even able to pitch to his employer how advantageous it would be for him to earn this degree. They were so proud of him, in fact, that he was kept on as a remote employee while he attended classes at Harvard. Julie was also able to stay on remotely for a healthcare tech company she was working for at the time. Everything was going really well for the couple. James was sharing stories of all the exciting things he was learning in class, and Julie was telling friends and family back home how happy she was in Massachusetts. The couple was renting a half of a duplex in Waltham. So we're back to New England, folks. With James... See how we did actually, that? Actually, Waltham is like right down the street from me. Not I right know. Right. It's close by. Right down the street. That's such a New England thing to say. It is. Um, it's right down the street. Six miles. Six, 30, 30 he's minutes. He's my neighbor. He's my neighbor. He lives in a couple towns over. He's my cousin. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
But with James excelling at school and Julie working a job she liked remotely, it seemed like nothing could go wrong for the two of them. Some friends said they were even a bit envious. James and Julie seemed so in love and now were pursuing an amazing educational opportunity. So, when Julie started to develop flu-like symptoms less than a year after the move, all their good luck came to a halt. It was early June when Julie first developed these flu-like symptoms. She would often go to bed early and she spent extra time resting in her bed throughout the day. When James's mother came to visit in July, Julie was barely able to interact with her at all. She had to spend most of her time resting and laying down. For a brief moment, she seemed to be on the mend. A few weeks later, she and James were able to visit some old college friends in North Carolina. Perhaps she was getting over this mysterious illness, she believed. But then, on August 20th, 2005, Julie woke up feeling incredibly sick. She could barely talk, her words were all slurred together, and when she stood up, she was dizzy and disoriented. What she initially believed to be a really bad case of the flu was getting much worse. James drove her to the ER, where she could barely communicate with the staff because of the state she was in. The hospital began running tests on Julie. They were perplexed as to what could be going on. Was there even one diagnosis that could explain the myriad symptoms? According to ABC News, quote, after a three-day stay in the hospital, Julie's condition was improving, but a battery of tests produced some disturbing news. Julie had chronic kidney disease and would sometime in the distant future need dialysis. Doctors also told her she would have a high-risk pregnancy if she were to conceive, end quote. Hearing this news was not only scary, it left doctors really confused. Her condition could not be caused by just kidney disease. Something else was going on here, but they were unsure of what it could be. Now, not only were her kidneys shutting down, but she had also all these symptoms that could not be explained. The stay in the hospital did improve Julie's health. She was released a few days later, hoping that the worst was over. She had always dreamt of being a mother, and she told her parents that they had been trying to have a child before all of this happened. Now, while she was recovering, Julie was optimistic. She had even looked up ways to get pregnant while fighting kidney disease, according to NBC. And James doted on Julie, bringing her anything she needed. Because her electrolytes were low, he would often urge her to drink Gatorade. The old dags visited Julie and James after her stay in the hospital, and they were relieved when they could see that their daughter's condition was improving. The group visited the quaint New England towns, driving up to Maine, and they even toured the Harvard campus. The old dags left their daughter, believing everything was destined to keep improving. Why would they assume differently? She had her loving husband taking care of her day in and day out. Uh, this one guy that I used to work with, he actually told me that Gatorade, if you drink it, you need an insane amount of Gatorade to replenish your electrolytes to the levels that like you think it does from drinking it. Hmm. And at that point, it has like 40 grams of sugar. There's so much bottle. sugar in like, it, yeah. So you just be flooding your body with so much sugar. So... Dispelling some myths over here. Gatorade is not as healthy as people think. It's not. It's not. Um, Water's honestly healthier. Yeah, most just of the drink time. water and like, oh, like take some electrolytes here and there because you will like deplete them. Mm-hmm. Makes sense, but like we but honestly more concentrated. I guess it's people think it's a lot more concentrated yeah, in Gatorade yeah. than we it deplete is. them a lot less than we think too. Mm-hmm. You know, we all just want an excuse to drink a sugary drink. We kind of like Gatorade, really, is what it I is. love red fruit punch Gatorade. Me too. Um. But only a few short weeks later, in September, Julie had the same thing happen, this time more severe. She lost her motor skills, was disoriented, and couldn't walk. James phoned a doctor who advised him to take Julie to the emergency room quickly, nearly half a day later. Yeah, let's put a pin in that, guys. Yeah, 10 hours. 
um, James shows up to the ER with Julie. Like, if I was unable to walk and the doctor told you to take me to emergency room and it took you 10 hours to get me there it better be because you're carrying me on your back right exactly um walking barefoot uphill both ways both ways over needles over yeah um she was in critical condition and she fell into a coma soon after arriving the doctors could not make sense of what was happening even with kidney disease her symptoms were far more severe than anything they could think of until at last thrill seeker you might have caught on to this they considered a darker explanation. The doctors performed a series of blood tests only to find that Julie had high levels of ethylene glycol in her system. If this does not immediately ring a bell for you, I bet a common household item that contains it does. Antifreeze. Julie had outrageously high levels of the toxin in her system. According to NBC, doctors relayed that, quote, Julie's kidneys were shutting down, being blocked by tiny crystals manufactured from antifreeze. By this point, Julie's parents had arrived at the hospital and they were informed by doctors about what was going on. The poison in her body was going to kill her. Julie was hooked up to machines, but her prognosis was very grim. She was not going to make it out of the hospital alive. The old dags knew something strange was going on. Why would their daughter be ingesting antifreeze? While Julie was on life support in the hospital, her parents decided to pay the police a visit. The Waltham police were informed not only that Julie had been poisoned, but that her parents were suspicious that her husband James had been the one to do it. To anyone looking at the situation, it seems that there are only two possible theories of what happened. Um, because also you have to consider like they're pretty isolated. They just moved to Waltham, so right. it's not like they have a ton of friends in the area. Right. So either one, James poisoned Julie, or two, Julie intentionally poisoned herself as a way to commit suicide. Julie's parents knew in their hearts their daughter would never kill herself. She was lively, she had plans for the future, and she loved her husband and family to pieces. Of course, uh, we don't always know what's going on inside a person's brain. She may have been depressed or battling demons nobody knew about. But this just didn't seem plausible to her parents. And they were onto something here. James knew his wife's medical history like the back of his hand. Little details as if he had always kept a close eye on her health. Like, okay, maybe that isn't too bizarre. But just wait, according to NBC, James started to speak with authorities. He had an idea of what may have happened. A few hours before Julie became violently sick, he had seen her outside on the neighborhood curb, looking confused. Perhaps, James told authorities, she had taken a Gatorade bottle from a neighbor and drank some, but had actually ingested antifreeze instead. Okay, there's a lot going on here. Yeah. One, your spouse is disoriented on a curb, and you're just looking out the window like, oh, I hope she figures it out. Yeah. This is, he's very, very, very much implicating himself. Very specific. Like, I think what he, it took me like a second to realize it. I think what he means is like somebody filled a Gatorade bottle with like old antifreeze and then like threw in the trash. Like how you empty like a coolant or. Yeah, probably. But that also means that your wife's going through the trash to get Gatorade. (laughs) And um, that's very specific. Like that it's a Gatorade bottle. It's not just. I don't know, maybe she ingested antifreeze somehow. Yeah. You know, I don't know, maybe. Like, even to say, not that this is, like, really a viable option either, but even to be like, oh, I saw her putting antifreeze in the car. Maybe she got some in her, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, this is just this so is, oddly specific. Oh, my God. And he's like, you know, like, maybe she just had some antifreeze from a Gatorade bottle, probably about 12 ounces. But, I mean, I'm just throwing this idea out here. I don't know if that actually happened. <laughs> I'd be like, um... Okay, we're going to need some warrants. (laughs) So with an eyebrow raised, I'm sure, the officers decided to search the Kion's house for any sign of antifreeze. 
They looked the house up and down, and they found nothing that looked like antifreeze or any suspicious liquids. While they were there, though, they did take two things of value. They took Julie's computer, and they took James's computer. When they looked through Julie's computer, there was nothing indicative of her wanting to take her life. In fact, her searches were almost always, like, pretty optimistic. She googled ways of, like getting better, living with kidney disease. She would exchange emails with friends. There wasn't gloomy notes or concerning searches on her computer. There were other holes in the suicide theory as well. Ingesting antifreeze is a very, very painful way to die. NBC wrote that, quote, antifreeze's key ingredient, ethylene glycol, can be lethal. It's also sweet tasting and blends easily with sugary liquids like sweet tea or Gatorade. So if she was really feeling suicidal, why would she poison herself over a series of months? In small amounts, antifreeze is not lethal. It will cause severe illness, as we've seen from Julie, but it won't kill you. If a significant amount is ingested, death is slow, painful, and guaranteed. If Julie wanted to take her life, it would have made a lot more sense if it had been a single, isolated incident of poisoning. But, from what we know about her final months, Julie was sick for a while. It seemed like she was ingesting tiny amounts of it for a long time before she swallowed the amount that ultimately killed her. At first, Julie's friends thought that she must have killed herself, because who would poison such a wonderful person and friend? But the more they thought about it, the more they realized that this theory really made no sense to them. And when they thought even harder, they remembered something critical to the investigation. Julie and James had had Gatorade with them the most recent times the people had seen them. Julie's mother, according to NBC, recalled seeing a half-full bottle in the fridge when she first visited sick Julie. One of the couple's friends said that they remembered Julie having Gatorade in her hand multiple times. It couldn't be true, like, could it? Was the doting, loving husband plotting the death of his wife this whole time? While the police were investigating Julie's death, James wasted no time restarting his life. According to ABC News, James's landlord contacted the authorities because James had left the apartment suddenly, only a few short weeks after Julie had died. Even stranger, he left behind lots of furniture and expensive items, which we know he loves. It appeared as if he had abandoned his home entirely. ABC News wrote, quote, Also among the items were photographs of the couple, Julie's wedding dress and wedding rings. It was surprising behavior for a supposedly grieving widower, end quote. James returned to his hometown of Jefferson, Missouri, and started working again at the local radio show. His mother was delighted to have her son back in town, but she worried he wouldn't make enough money to support himself. That's when he told her he had sought out Julie's life insurance policy immediately after the funeral. The payout was $250,000. It was enough, he thought, for a new home and a BMW. If there was money left over, he would set up a charity in Julie's honor. I, I mean, I don't live in Missouri, but like in New England, that is not enough money for a yes. new home and a BMW. <laughs> and also... Like, even if this was the plan in the back of your mind, why would you ever say that out loud to someone? Like, yeah. it, it just sounds so pompous and disconnected. Oh, don't worry about me. I'll be able to take care of myself. Julie had a life insurance policy. And also, oh yeah, if there's like $5 left, you know that I'm going to donate it to the local YMCA. Like, what? <laughs> oh my god. And if you remember back at the beginning, we alluded to the fact that James loved attention. When he was back on the radio, he was quick to share news of his loss, soaking up all the sympathy. But he was inconsistent with the story. When he told some people of her death, he said that she died by suicide. To others, he said that she had suffered from a fatal illness. He seemed to be eager to start the next chapter of his life. 
James reconnected with some old friends, and he even began a serious relationship with a new woman. Keep in mind, this is just weeks after his previous wife had died of poisoning. He even told some of his friends that he was looking to settle down and start a family of his own. Bizarre behavior, they all noted, for a man who had just lost the love of his life. Former close friends of James described a strange conversation they had with him to ABC News. When they questioned him about how everything looked, meaning him moving on, leaving his place in Waltham, etc., to the police. Pulling life insurance policy. Yeah, cashing out life insurance policy. He said, quote, you know, guys, I don't think I would be indicted for this. And if I were indicted, I wouldn't be convicted because it would be a circumstantial case. End quote. I just don't like he must be off. I mean, he essentially admitted that, yeah, I murdered her, you know, he like, I guess it all comes back to him loving attention. But like all these public displays of I'm fine. He's going to be openly dating someone new. Yeah. telling people different stories and not concerned like he was telling some people she had cancer and then some people that she had died from kidney disease like there was no consistency um but james had a radio show and it aired on monday mornings at 9 a.m and he would discuss politics current events whatever really tickled his fancy that day so during a brief intermission of his show james stepped out of the dj booth and while he was standing outside the studio a group of Massachusetts state policemen walked right up to him in the hallway and arrested him on the spot. He was now being charged with the murder of his wife, Julie Cown. James Cown, who always... Oh, this is a... Sorry, this is a quote directly from um, NBC that I wanted to share because I think they summarized it very well. Quote, James Cown, who always knew how to fill dead air, barely said a word as he was led away to a holding cell. He had always wanted to be the talk of the town, and now he was, end quote. That was a great quote. The case took almost four years to go to trial, and at the end of 2008, it finally started. The prosecution honed in on the fact that James had a history of conning people. He was, in fact, a habitual compulsive liar. His expensive cars that he claimed to own? Well, he'd actually rented all of those. His job at ESPN? Well, he actually had just been a behind-the-scenes guy for one of the shows. He had zero time on the air. This leaves one big of his one big piece of his story that you're probably wondering about. Harvard Business School. Oh yeah, James had never gotten into Harvard. But in order to make it appear as if he had, James went as far as to forge his acceptance letter. At his trial, the woman who actually signed the acceptance letters for Harvard confirmed that she had never signed the letter James claimed as his acceptance. James went to great lengths to keep up the facade of this perfect, glamorous life. It was not only exhausting, but it was proving to be expensive. Can you imagine going to... Like, he had to look up what her name was and forge her signature and see a copy of what an acceptance letter would have looked like just so he could show the people in his life that he got in to keep this lie consistent. Also, like, was he going to buy... I guess you can, actually. I knew someone who failed college and bought a diploma online. So he could have bought a diploma... Oh my gosh. Wow, I could have been doing this all this time. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, what? Um, Um, Also, just like, I'm not like knocking his friends because obviously they didn't know. But like, if his cars were rentals, rentals have rental plates. Yeah, I was thinking that. Again, like, how did you not like, if you've never seen him on ESPN, he doesn't have a show on ESPN. Like, if you Google his name and nothing comes up, <laughs> probably not on ESPN. Oh, like, it's just crazy. But I mean, I'm, I know that people, I've, we've been like, not victims, but like, 
we've like heard stories like of yeah. people that like people have told us and we've bought it. Remember and not when true. our friend got catfished? Oh my god. We had a friend that got catfished and we all bought it for months, even though Maybe none of we'll it made share sense. That one day because that's a ridiculous. It story. is a ridiculous story. Um but yeah, no, that, I guess that's true. And maybe they just maybe it was just kind of like, oh, it's If they James, liked him, they just chose to believe thing. it. Um but James had actually been fired from his previous job, like the web job, after he got caught embezzling money from the company. He was like passing off web templates as if he had designed them, and his boss fired him after she discovered that he had billed the company for $60,000 related to that work that he never had completed. In fact, he had plagiarized it. So which also like <laughs> if you're going to like try to embezzle money like maybe start with a sum smaller than 60 grand <laughs> or like pro tip <laughs> or like em- embezzle it from different sources or something right like, that's a lot of money for a small company right so remember how james told his employers his harvard classes would make him a better tech asset to the company well he actually he took a course at harvard extension school which no one's knocking it's a great opportunity if you like need to get some extra credits before applying to med school or you want to do some like extra math classes but it was a computer class that he took okay so he's like a computer whiz guy and he miserably failed it (laughs) so uh I'm going to go with uh, not as uh, clever with his tech as he says he is. Right. So the prosecution was showing the jury that Julie had been married to a man that she really knew nothing about. The couple were deep in debt and they were struggling to make monthly payments. But James kept her in the dark about everything going on, which if you have a partner and you have a shared bank account, you guys should do check-ins about how your finances yeah, are Yeah, you guys should both be checking. Because she just, I don't think, looked at anything. And James saw the way out of all their debt the prosecution argued as julie's life insurance policy if he could kill his wife he would gain two hundred fifty thousand dollars from her policy so julie was clueless about what was going on she loved her husband and she was even writing all these emails to her friends kind of gushing about how much she loved him and how grateful she was to have him in her life which is really sad it is so sad we said a bit earlier that the police had seized james's computer and this proved to be the most damning piece of evidence for him at trial according to abc Quote, investigators searched Kion's computer for internet search terms from mid-August, which was just before Julie became seriously ill, including homemade poisons, ricine, chlorophyll poisoning, and antifreeze human death, end quote. James knew he could mix antifreeze with Gatorade and it would be impossible to detect, by taste, that it was tainted. In court, prosecutors also brought up the fact that Julie had been a nurse, so she would have known what a painful death poisoning would be. If she was really suicidal, she would likely not choose such a horrific way to end her life. Um, also, I would just like to say, if you are claiming to attend Harvard to improve your tech capabilities, and you don't know how to erase your search history, there's a little bit of an inconsistency yeah, we some, there. we have some issues here. Like, I think my grandma could erase the cookies on her computer, so... Probably. Uh... I'm very shocked that he left yeah, those. Scrub your computer, open. dude. Uh, I mean, the God, defa- we're, we would be professional we're criminals not, at this point. We're not a fan of him. He gives redheads a bad name. He's a redhead. Oh, is he a redhead? Uh, the defense tried to argue that Julie could have used James' computer to perform those searches, which also doesn't make sense. Just wait for it. Because maybe in a fog, this is what they thought, she opened his computer and she, like, hopped on Google, but... This doesn't make sense because not only did she have a computer of her own, so why would she need to use his? But also, when she they looked through her own computer, they saw that she was really 
uh, optimistic and looking through all those searches of like how to improve your life with kidney disease. So when they looked through Julie's computer, they also found the missing evidence that they needed to confirm everything. Julie had written multiple emails to friends describing how loving and kind James was, taking care of her during her illness. But she also mentioned that he was insistent she keep drinking Gatorade. ABC News shared that in one message, Julie wrote, quote, James kept wanting me to drink Gatorade, and my taste buds just can't handle anything citric right now, end quote. That's so creepy. Also, why did he choose just Gatorade? Like, You know, I kind of wonder, like, this is weird, but, like, you know how antifreeze is all often blue? It's, like, the color of that blue Gatorade. Oh, okay. I wonder if that's partially why. Yeah. Um... The jury took less than two days to decide the fate of James Keown. They found him guilty of killing his wife. The judge sentenced James to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Perhaps most chilling were the words of the judge said to James, courtesy of ABC News, quote, The way in which this defendant secretly and methodically planned and carried out the poisoning of his wife and allowed her to suffer so horribly and die such a painful and slow death makes this court feel that we are truly in the presence of an evil person, end quote. Julie's parents were relieved to hear that their former son-in-law would uh, end up where he deserved. After the trial, the old eggs pushed for passing of a bill, um, which is really awesome, the Anti-Freeze Bittering Act. So this legislation would require all manufacturers to add a bittering agent to their anti-freeze products. And in 2013, all manufacturers of antifreeze and engine coolant voluntarily added bittering agents to their products. James has tried to appeal his verdict, but has had no success. Surprise, surprise. The man right. who can talk his way out of anything. He will spend the rest of his li- con man life behind bars. And that concludes today's episode. So if your spouse or your partner is encouraging you to drink Gatorade or Kool-Aid or anything, I don't know. Just don't do it. Keep an do eye it. out. Keep, Keep an, an eye, eye out. out. Yeah. Don't accept liquids from uh, suspicious people. And until next week, see you guys. Bye.